it's such a beautiful thing to be able to share your ideas and have that create value. Other people see that, they view you as a leader. They want to do business with you. They want to do a book with you. They want it. They want you on the Today Show because clearly if you have enough of a proactive sense of leadership to go out and do that, then you are a good bet for a lot of things. It can seem like celebrity entrepreneurs won the jackpot, but there's more to this story. Behind the Blockbuster coaching programs, offers, and live events are stories of careful development, fixed mistakes, and strategy. On this season of the Coach Pony podcast, I'm sitting down with successful business owners to ask them, how do you build that? I'll talk to a wide range of coaches and leaders, digging into how it all started, what they learned, and what you should know if you want to play a similar game. And with that, let's get down to business. Today, our guest is Ash Emberger from The Middle Finger Project. She's a genius at using words to sell things, and she's used herself as a guinea pig, first creating a newsletter that produced six figures of income, and then growing an empire full of written programs, culminating in a huge recent book deal with Penguin Books. All in, she's made over $5 million just from her words, and of course, we want to know how. Ash Amberger, you are the next guest on the Coach Pony Podcast. Come on down. Welcome so much to the podcast. And we are here to talk about making money from writing because you've done that in so many different ways. And you've made literally millions and millions of dollars from your writing, which is awesome and something I know so many coaches aspire to. So I'm so excited you're here. So welcome. Thank you. This is the best conversation ever. Hello, writers. Hello, future millionaire writers. I love it. I love that you're setting a really low bar. That's that's awesome. That's great. Uh, <laughs> so I want to go back in time. When you were first starting out, you didn't have a following. You didn't have an audience. And you've written an awesome book, and we're going to talk about that and everything else. But I want to go back to when you were new, because a lot of coaches listening are new, and they want to start to write a little bit. They want to get that book out there, other things. So tell me more about the first thing that you wrote that made money. What was it? So the very first thing that I ever wrote that made money was an ebook called You Don't Need a Job, You Need Guts. Ooh. Yes. And it was in the year 2010. It was a new kind of thing to be doing. And it made sense to me because I looked at publishers and I looked at their model and I said, really, what is the publishing industry? Well, it's taking a set of ideas and packaging them into this container and then selling that container. It's a great scalable model. It's a great way to impact a lot of people. And it's an awesome way to do what you love. So I started off with that. And I remember the girl, my very first sale, I think I sold for, it was $11. And I'd never been happier in my life. That was the first thing. Wow. So tell me a little bit more about that. So you packaged it up and you sold it from your blog, your website. Tell me more. I did. So at that time, I I had a few subscribers. I had about 2,000, 2,200 subscribers to my blog, which was called The Middle Finger Project. And The Middle Finger Project was all about the same topic. Let's see if there's a better way to do work that matters to us 
and live a meaningful existence besides what I was doing before, which was advertising sales. And so this started as a big experiment, the Middle Finger Project. And slowly I started gaining readers and I started experimenting with different freelancing tactics at the time to take what effectively were advertising skills and find my own clients for that. I was really successful with that, which led to writing the book. And uh, from there, I was shocked because all of a sudden I was making more money with this book every month than I was with one-on-one clients. Interesting. So do you remember how many copies of the book you were selling per month? Just ballpark? I mean, geez, I was living in Chile at the time. (laughs) That's a long time ago. But I'm going to say it was about $2,000 a month. Just from your website, just from your blog selling it? Just from my blog. And that was the coolest thing, realizing that blogging was so much more than writing. It was really a form of connection uh, at scale. And I loved it. I was able to build this really cool community. And uh, one of the first things I found out about writing for profit is that it's important to start off charging money for your work. Someone sees that you have a book, even if it's a self-published book, and it's a credibility marker for you. It's this really cool thing. And it also helps with audiences who are really gun shy to jump in, hire you for one-on-one coaching, join a group program. These are really intimidating things. I know they're very in vogue, but they're intimidating for the average person. So starting off with a book is a great value exchange. It's an easy, low commitment. It's an easy yes price point. And the people really enjoy it because you, you get to be yourself on the page and they get to experience that. So I want to get off topic just for a second, because I know if I was a coach listening to this, I'd be like, okay, how do I write that first book? How do I get that first ebook out into the world? So what are your top tips to get me from where I am now, which is not writing, to getting something published? Well, the thing that I like to do, this is my own personal process, but the way that I've been able to do it successfully has been to think like a newspaper publisher. So for example, the New York Times. The New York Times at one point discovered that all of the searches on their website were not for the news, but actually for cooking and sports. Things that, I mean, like cooking, for example, is just like a a thing you would never really associate with the New York Times, but people were looking up their recipes. So what they decided to do was take that vertical and start a paid subscription around that topic. So that's the way I approach my book writing process is to write to my general audience. I still have the Middle Finger Project blog and I write every week, three times a week, and I pay attention to what's really resonating with people. And then I will pull out that vertical, quote unquote, And I'll create something that feels like a guide or even a textbook around that subtopic. So today I'm not charging $11 for a book. I might be charging $100 or $500 for a book, which just speaks to what books can really be, especially if you don't label them books. Mm, What do you label them? depends on the topic. I really like the word guide. I think for a lot of people, it imparts this sense of 
utility. I'm going to get something from this. This isn't just like a piece of fiction. So that's another rule that I adhere to. I don't tend to write fiction for my audience. I always write something that I think is really helpful. So yes, could you take a course with me on this topic? Maybe. Yeah, sure. But do you have to? No. And it's such a, for me, one of the pieces of my business model that I really strive for every day is just ease, something that feels like relief and feels good to be producing and making. Books for me have been that more so than high level courses and masterminds and things of that nature. Yeah. I really like sharing knowledge and writing. I feel like it helps you codify your own understanding of the world around you in some ways. And sometimes it gives you new insights that you didn't even expect, but it's also a great way to help your clients and have a bigger impact without having to work quite as hard. Yes. I love what you just said. Yeah. Codify your experience and actually figure out what you think about something. When I give writing workshops, one of the first things that we do is actually just start writing. We don't pick topics. We don't think too much first. We just start writing because that's really how you figure out what you actually think about stuff. One of my mantras is always let go and take action. So I love that you said that. I think sometimes we get so stuck in being perfect and overthinking we forget to do. And if you don't do something, if you don't put something, if you don't create and put it out into the world, nothing changes. So you've got this ebook, you realized, oh my gosh, I'm actually making more writing than I am freelancing. What was the next sort of really, really big milestone in your process to become, you know, making millions of dollars as a writer? What was the next big product or thing that you did that really changed things for you? The second thing was what was essentially a paid email subscription in the year 2011. I don't know that many other people were doing it at that stage, but it seemed like a good idea for me to find a container, another type of container that would allow me to record a specific journey week by week and offer paid access to the information. So this was something I called 97 in 11, and it was me documenting week by week how I was going about the business of earning my first $97,000 as a freelancer working from the country of Chile. And I, I got, um, I'm going to say about 300 subscribers from that, paying approximately $25 a month. And so, you know, that's quickly adds up and you're like, oh my gosh, this is great. This is the power of scale and community. And I experienced it so early on that I've become addicted ever since. I love that. I can't believe you started a paid newsletter in 2011. That's insane, but also really forward thinking. And like, here we are with Substack being like, oh, we're like totally groundbreaking. And it's like, mm, are you? Sometimes I look at Substack and I think, oh gosh, like if you're charging $2.99 for a paid subscription, you're going to need so much volume. As a creator, it's really hard to do that unless you've got a really big budget. Unless you're a company with a lot of money to spend on advertising, you're going to need a lot of subscribers to make a decent income on a $2.99 email subscription. So how did you get your subscribers for the 97 to 11, the whole email subscription? Again, was it website traffic, the same as the first book? Yep, website traffic. So the Middle Finger Project for me has always served as the hub of everything that I've done. Anytime I've created a vertical product or anything else, I've advertised it to my Middle Finger Project readership. And I've always, always emphasized email lists as the number one thing that I've done with that, partially because the Middle Finger Project as a brand, cool in some ways, really limiting in others. I've never been able to buy an ad. I can't mm. buy any ads on any platforms because it's offensive in nature. 
So mm-hmm. I had to get really good at making every single sentence count that I was putting out to the world and get really good at converting those visitors into subscribers. So my email list has always been really healthy. And that for me has been the number one thing that has, it's been the nucleus of everything that I've ever done. So all of my work over the years has been from the Middle Finger Project email list exclusively. I agree with that. And just from a pure coaching background, my biggest business asset is my email list. And it's so important because you own it. Facebook can't change the algorithm on you and take it away. So building an email list is a good use of time for new coaches. So how did you come up with the idea for that particular product? What was it that inspired you to share your journey with them? Most of the readers of the Middle Finger Project have an idea that they would really like to play with. But at the same time, they're also plagued by imposter syndrome, plagued by the fear that it's not going to work out. This is silly. A lot of other you know, chatterers in the background there, maybe it's family, friends, coworkers. Oh, like, you know, who do you think you are to do that? That's, that's ridiculous. So my big goal with that product at the time was let's do it together then. Let's find a way to do this together. And I'm going to show you that I can start here from zero this year in Chile and let's do, let's do it. I shared every single cold email pitch I was sending, every single phone call I had, transcripts, um, what the actual results were from different you know, different promos or reaching out to this founder at this startup company and what the results were. And so I think over time, people started seeing that so much of what we view as like, you know, this really sparkly, amazing, profitable business is just really small, little steps every single day and doing them over and over again. That gets you to the finish line. And that's why I created it. And I, th- I think it was a hit. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's rare to see that kind of transparency. And also that type of storytelling journey is always fascinating to people. And uh, combine them both in one product is genius. So I want to know, how did you? How are you getting people to your website? Were you relying on SEO? Were you doing guest posting? What were you doing to get that traffic so people could find you and then sign up? My biggest source of traffic for the Middle Finger Project in my early days, and maybe even still today, is honestly Twitter. So I've never been big on Instagram. I have never made an effort on Facebook. Social media is really, for me, kind of the the tool that I use simply because it would be silly for if someone wants to tag you and talk about your work online and they don't have a way to do that. That's really for me, the only reason why I keep those channels, but they are not inbound marketing for me. Inbound marketing has been a Twitter and B podcasts. I love getting on podcasts and talking about things. Um, And then C word of mouth. I think when you've got a really cool mission and you've got a certain brand, it makes it easy for people to share your message for you. And it doesn't feel like this uphill battle all the time. Having something that resonates with people that gets people to be like, I love it or I hate it becomes, makes it so much more likely to get shared. I love that you took a stand with the middle finger project name. (laughs) I mean, I, I finally got the actual trademark on the middle finger project, which was a process because even the USPTO denied the application at first. And then we, we appealed it and ended up winning based on the context of what it actually is. 
But one of the things I really advocate for is coming up with a high concept brand, something that instantly, if you were to pitch it to a journalist, that journalist would say, oh my gosh, that's so interesting. That's so cool. Let's do a story about that. Whereas with most of of us, when we start a business or a coaching business in this example, we would normally just start it under our own names or something that feels kind of general to not really rock the boat, not make too many promises that we can't keep. I'm a huge fan of making a promise, making a promise to the world and putting that promise as a part of your brand. It makes it really easy for people to want to talk about that because it's like, oh, wow, did you see what this person is up to? That's really cool. I love that. I heard at a conference once someone say, don't start a brand, start a movement. Oh, I love that. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Yep, something that feels high concept. Like this is really, this is a this is a thing. This could be a movie. Let's get Netflix on the phone now. <laughs> no pressure, you guys. Start a brand that could be a movie. So tell me a little bit more about your journey to getting a book published by Penguin. In the early days, it was, yes, about selecting different verticals, different pain points that people were struggling with. At one point, we had a really cool product that um, was called Love Business Owner. And it was this huge textbook full of scripts, anything you could ever imagine for how to respond in a really great professional way when someone wants to know, well, you know, what's your price? (laughs) And I want a refund, things like that. So I started making products like that, self-publishing them, which was awesome and continues to be awesome. But as a writer, there's always that fantasy to do the traditional book deal. It's a really great tool for exposure and visibility, and I think it brings a lot of clout. And I wanted that. I really did. My literary agent at the time approached me, and we started working on a proposal years ago in 2000 and I'm going to go with 16. And we couldn't really hit the nail on what we were creating. And so this was a complete different process for me than my usual spiel, which is just to figure out what people need help with and then create that thing. This needed to be applicable to a mass market. And this needed to speak specifically to women who were suffering with imposter syndrome, but may or may not have wanted to start a business. And it needed to be much more general and vague and broad. And so we struggled for quite some time trying to figure out what the perfect angle was with that. Eventually, I had an editor, an acquisitions editor at Penguin, reach out to me. She read my blog, The Middle Finger Project. In case you were doubting that you should be writing publicly on the internet consistently, yes, you should be. She read my blog and she was like, Ash, hey, uh, when are you writing a book? What are you doing? And I was like, hang on, hang on. I got this. We're working on something in the background. When we finally submitted that proposal to this acquisitions editor. We gave her kind of like an advance exclusive. She emailed me back and was like, I love you, but what is this? This isn't your voice. This isn't you. What what, what happened? So the traditional publishing route started off very different for me because it was this game of trying to figure out, well, I don't know what the mass market wants. This is a new game. And I said to her, I said, give me three days. I'll be right back. And I went back to the drawing board. 
Uh, I told my literary agency, just, just let me try something else. And without thinking about anything else that we had talked about, I developed a completely different proposal with very irreverent chapter titles and fun and some swear words thrown in and true to form to the Middle Finger Project what that was. I submitted it and within 24 hours had a deal. Amazing. So I just want to recap something for everyone, which is you didn't go out and come up with a pitch and then pitch it to a bunch of agents. They found you because you'd been writing for several years the first time. I mean, in 2016, the first agent found you. So you'd been putting out great content for a while. And when you do that, you get found. I've had coaches get, you know, coach friends of mine, they get on the Today Show because of their blogs, right? They get on, you know, they're creating content and they get found. And I think that's really, really important. It's inbound marketing, a creative form of inbound marketing. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to share your ideas and have that create value. Other people see that. They view you as a leader. They want to do business with you. They want to do a book with you. They want it, They want you on the Today Show because clearly if you have enough uh, of a proactive sense of leadership to go out and do that, um, then you are a good bet for a lot of things. So you got a book deal and then you started writing the book. Tell us a little bit about your process for writing and how you, how you address that, met your deadlines. What, what if anything was unexpected or, or came up for you during that time? I have always stuck to a very intensive three hour a day writing schedule. It's the very first thing I do when I wake up in the morning. And when I was writing the book, it became ever more important. This one piece of structure I had for my life, because frankly, I don't have a lot of structure in a lot of other places. We travel a lot. I'm doing different projects. I thrive on new. But this is the one non-negotiable for me. So three hours every single morning, Saturday and Sunday included, writing this book. I had a year deadline. And I think it went really easily once I had committed to a vision of just being myself on the page and not trying to be, you know, like perfect literary agency, perfect publishing doll, like let's just be me on the page. It went really well after that. I would say the only surprising things that happened were how hard it is to pre-sell books to an audience, I find it much more difficult to pre-sell a $20 book than a $200 one. Why do you think that is? Because books have no sense of urgency about them. You can buy a book anytime and people know once it comes out, it's going to be available. So it's very easy to just figure, I'll get that later when I finish these other books, when I have all these other things done. Uh, I don't have time right now. Oh, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm not busy. Whereas with my writing business, I've always had deadlines and I've always had urgency and I've always controlled that part of the process. So that was really hard for me. And the second piece was not having the same kind of visibility that I've always had into the numbers, into what's actually working. I have no clue if what I just wrote did all these promos I just did. I have no idea if any of them were effective. I don't have any control or visibility over the tracking. And in fact, my numbers lag about four months at any given time from traditional mm. publishing. A whole different ballgame. How much marketing did they help you do to get the book launched? And how much do you have to kind of come up with on your own? 
We all have, I think, a vision of working with a big publisher and the kind of leverage that comes with that. So I would say one of the most important things that a company like Penguin can offer is access to big bookstores, big sales, big numbers, because it's all this vetting process, right? The bookstore knows if you've gotten a literary agent, which is first, you know, the first gatekeeper, and then you've sold a book with somebody like Penguin, uh, and then you're in a certain vertical for them, you know, they know they can expect so many sales. And so they're really good at negotiating where exactly you're going to be on the bookshelf, um, whether or not you're forward facing or sideways, whether you get placed in multiple different categories or just one. They're great at that and people trust them. They've got the branding behind them. So that's awesome. I would say what was hard for me as a creator was having support on promos and marketing up until launch day. Once the book is launched, then all of that goes away and those teams need to move on to new books being launched. So the rest of it is completely up to you. Wow. So what was that a surprise? Were you aware of that ahead of time or was that an unexpected shock? I think it's it's surprising because you also still feel like this is a whole new thing and you're like, oh my God, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't know. Am I supposed to be going into these airport bookstores and signing these copies, which apparently is a thing we're supposed to be doing. When you go into an airport, for example, and you <laughs> sign the copies, they love it because then they get to put a sticker on it and then it helps them sell books. So apparently that's a thing you're supposed to be doing, but it is a very scary, different kind of thing. And prior to the book launching, it's much harder than writing a book. You've got so much PR that you're doing and interviews, promotions. I've got to be writing articles for magazines. You've got to be on top of all of it and they are scheduling all that for you. So yes, we had shared Google calendars, docs, everyone. You've got a PR team. You've got a marketing team. They're doing all of that stuff for you and they're telling you where you're going to be on this day and time, on TV, whatever. It's exhausting and you have no way of knowing again, like, is it is it working? I don't know. And then when they kind of fall off after that, you're like, okay, now I can take a deep breath. So just now, two years later, I would say I'm finally now get, like getting my stamina back to start my own promotions. <laughs> so how long did that pre-launch cycle last? Is it like a couple of months? Was it longer, shorter? Yeah, it started, I mean, the book launched in February, literally, uh, I don't know, two weeks before the pandemic. <laughs> Uh, so we had been working on it really heavy in January and February. And that's like the go time after everyone came back from vacation. So for those who want to do a book proposal or a pitch and they're wondering, like, what do I expect to get paid? How do these deals work? What is your advice or insight on that area? I would say if you want to make money publishing, I would absolutely recommend self-publishing and do it like I have where... You're doing something that's more of a guide that feels really useful. But if your motive is visibility and you want to have that clout, it is really, really helpful for other projects, for clients. You can raise your rates. You have access to things that you didn't have before now that you've really just crossed this invisible threshold of credibility, then traditional publishing is a great option for that. The way the book deal process works is a little broken. 
it makes sense, but it's a little broken. The first thing they're looking at is how many books they think you're going to sell in year one, and they're basing that off of your existing audience. So if you are not a creator right now, if you're not someone who's writing publicly, you are at a distinct disadvantage, and I, I would I would venture to say you may not actually at this stage be able to get a book deal. Um, so that's the first thing. How many books can you yourself sell alone? Because they're looking at this from a point of liability. Um, what's my risk on this person who's never written a book before? <laughs> and from there, they're looking at what type of book it is, what their historical numbers are around this kind of book, how they think it's going to sell. And they've got you know all sorts of interesting formulas and calculations. And that's what they base your advance on. So the way the, the process works is they'll offer you an advance. You'll sign an agreement, and typically it's common to receive the first 25% on signing. You'll get the second 25% upon manuscript completion. So for me, that was one year later. You'll get the third 25% upon book publication, which was almost a year later after that. And then you get the final 25% one year after the book has been published. I love that they call it an advance. Like, that's very misleading. Yes, it's not the right term. It's like the first 25% is advanced and the rest is kind of the long game. I understand why they do it, but it also is not what most people expect, especially if you've got a small advance, which might only be $10,000. So imagine that broken up <laughs> into 20, 25% at a time. You're not going to be able to pay the bills. So you have to figure out where you stand on that spectrum and if you can afford to write for it. You said earlier in the conversation, we just dream of it. We want to have that. It's like a business card in its own way. It's, you know, oh, I've arrived. I've got my book. But you can probably make a lot more money doing other things rather than going the traditional publishing route. So I want to circle back to that for a second and have you tell me what has been your most successful product or offer that you've sold that's just completely in writing, delivered in writing? Definitely my creative writing classes. It made sense to me when I was starting these not to give them via typical class format. In true Ash Amberger style, I was like, let's do first a paid email subscription, and then we will package this into a book form. My creative writing classes are definitely my number one bestseller. People have a lot of fun with it. Um, and I teach you on the page how to transform sentences from, you know, kind of just feeling a little flat and meh into something that feels really compelling and fun to read. The number one thing I get from people is, I swear I'm a fun person in real life, but I can't seem to get it on the page. <laughs> so I have a whole other company for that called meatandhair.com. <laughs> and that is all, it's all focused on writing and it's got different books and email subscriptions for sale. And all of that is delivered via writing. I love it. Meatandhair.com. And I want to say the branding on that is fabulous. So if you're listening, go check it out after this because it's just super, super fun and showcases both personality and credibility at the same time, which I love. Thank you. Funny enough, some of the editors at Penguin actually started reaching out to me after the Middle Finger Project was published. And they were like, hey, do you have time to maybe consult on these other manuscripts that we're working on because we love the way that your book read. It was really fun. All of those things. It's been great for engagement. Readers finish it. Um, 
So I've, I've started doing that on the side as well. And it really led to a lot of cool new products for meat and hair, which was just like, wow, people are really struggling with this. And I think there's a lot of like shame around writing a boring bio, for example. <laughs> there used to be this whole thing of, I need to be corporate, I need to be buttoned up. And I think we as humans, though, we respond to other humans. And so showing your personality, especially as a coach, is really, really important to helping people identify if you're the right coach for them. And so there's no shame on that. So you want to kind of really let yourself sparkle. So I love that you're out there helping people do that because I think it's such a great differentiator for any coach. Like, let's see, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to be buttoned up, be yourself and people will like you for it. Totally. You're right. It's, it's a matchmaking process, isn't it? You said Love Business Owner was a very successful product, and you've done a lot of products, but you've retired some of them. Tell me about your process for I've written this product, I put it out in the world, I've sold a boatload of them, now it's time for the next thing. What do you? What makes you move on and decide to do something different? So Love Business Owner started off as Love Business Owner, and eventually at one point... I got tired of maintaining a separate brand for that product, and I was convinced that I needed to merge that under the bigger umbrella of the Middle Finger Project. So we went through just a rebrand and took the same product and repackaged it differently and then launched it that way. And I have gone through, I think, three different versions of that. Sometimes I found it to be really useful to just consider maybe it's maybe it's not the product. Like let's say if you're not happy with sales, a lot of times people think it's the product and they need to scrap it entirely. But what I found to be true is a lot of times it's just about the positioning of the product and if it's resonating in the right way. So I love to experiment and I have no qualms about doing that, taking something and and putting it into a new package. I remember a conversation I had with my editor when we did start the Middle Finger Project book. And this editor, oh my God, I love her. She's the best editor on the planet. <laughs> She's great. Uh, we had to like beg her to take my project on because the original editor left. My first meeting with her, we had this conversation about this idea that a book is a product and it, here it is, but we can put any cover on the outside of it. And so what really matters is what that cover looks like. And of course, this was a whole conversation about the right packaging and positioning. And one of the pieces of advice she had was, how can we create something that lets other people know, hey, this is a thing that was made just for me. And you have to really kind of put blinders on and make sure that whatever you're creating was made just for them so they can see it and they can self-identify. And the second piece of advice she gave me was, you got to get comfortable with 50% of the people hating you. That's the only way to create a strong enough brand. So that's what I've done over the years with different products. I've tested them out in different ways and I've seen how sales go. If I like it, if I need to incorporate it, do it differently. Um, I've done it a lot with different freelancing books that I've written, different guides, different things of that nature. I've had them under different umbrellas. I've repurposed them. I have taken things that I've written for other proje projects and repurposed them now into freelancing guides for meat and hair for writers. So take some of the same basic info, do some rewrites, make it more applicable, 
and then do the correct branding. So now it's made exactly for that person. There's a huge difference between somebody who sees a freelancing class for creative writers versus just like a generic general freelancing class. There's a lot of coaches who are listening to this and they're going to want to build their business through writing. So tell me, what are your top three tips for coaches who want to gain clients and visibility from their writing? The very first thing is absolutely focus on having a message that wows. That is the number one thing you need to do because it's the starting point of every single sales conversation from there. Focus on what your actual message is, and that's a whole it's a whole course in and of itself. But try to get something that is a promise, is a promise to someone, and have the guts to make that promise and say, this is what this is about. Make that specific promise to them. That's number one. Number two, absolutely use technology. Please set up an email sequence and please have it go and have it run on autopilot for your early new subscribers. And then the third thing you need to do is please make them an offer at the end of it. Make them an offer, include some urgency, whatever book or guide that you've written, make them an offer on the guide. And these things are going to start helping you so much more than you can even imagine. This very simple system Uh, Because it's consistency and the thing that most people struggle with, most creators anyway, is having the courage to keep making the offer and keep showing up. They feel like they're bothering people. So when you automate all of that, you're going to start seeing sales come in and then you just get to focus on actually like, you know, having conversations publicly, writing publicly, talking about coaching and working with your clients. And that's the best thing we could ever, ever hope for. To me, the underlying theme that you've got is just put yourself out there. Keep putting yourself out there so people can find you. In keeping with our game show theme, I want to close out this podcast with a fun game. And as always, this game is brought to us by two things, chocolate and awesome. So the chocolate for today, it's different with every podcast episode, but today it's the humble but amazing Boston cream pie donut. Now, for those of you in the Bay Area, I recommend Donut Savant in Oakland to get this particular donut. But of course, you can get it anywhere because it's commonly available. And it's just magic in your mouth. It's been a long time. It's good old stuff, but I highly recommend. And the awesome is our program, the Coach Pony program, Build a Real Business. So if you need help building your coaching business and you want amazing training, support, and community, come on over to coachpony.com and you can learn more at coachpony.com forward slash barb dash invite, B-A-R-B dash invite. So let's go ahead and play higher or lower. The number of blog articles you've written for the Middle Finger Project, and there's no fact checking here, by the way. So whatever you tell me, I'll believe. The number of blog articles you've written for the Middle Finger Project is 400. Higher. Higher. Do you have any any idea, ballpark? I think about a year ago we did an inventory because I was like, some of these need to be deleted. <laughs> these are so outdated. Uh, I think I was about to, around 1,200. 1200. Wow. I was way off. That's amazing. That is so much writing. And by the way, you guys, Asha's doing an awesome series on Fridays where she looks at different businesses and talks about how to make more money. And it is on the blog, middlefingerproject.org. Go watch. Amazing. I love it. For one of your successful, let's see, for let's call it love business owner. 
which was initially a project delivered entirely in writing. So I'm going to say you charged $199 for that, higher or lower? Lower most of the time. We experimented with a lot of different price points. Typically, that's what I'll do. I'll start off low and give my early adopters that awesome advantage. And then we play with it and say, okay, you know, tweak it up and see what happens. I really am a huge fan of supply and demand, supply and demand. Um, when does it stop selling? Then you lower the price. Do you remember what the first price of that was? I think our original price point was was 97. It's, it was never lower than that. That's a really great price point for a lot of um, smaller offers because it's high enough that you get serious people, but low enough that it doesn't break the bank. It's an easy yes for the people who really want it. So I love that price point. So let's see, for your longest blog post is over 3,000 words, higher or lower? Lower. Lower. I've never written traditionally long, long form content. And that is simply because most of the work that I do isn't really greatly accessible via SEO. It's a lot of motivational stuff. It's a lot of imposter stuff. And I think a lot of coaches can get that, different topics, different themes, but it it doesn't always lend itself nicely to SEO. I wrote a post on Monday, for example, about just this feeling that you want to experience the whole wide world and just eat it up alive. And that's more poetry than it is traditional SEO content. So I've never done that. But something that I have learned from publishing that I think is really interesting, especially because all of my blog posts are really newsletters. So I send everything out via my newsletter. And something that I learned a long time ago was this idea that if someone opens your email and it's very long and they don't get through it, It might be informative as ever, but if they don't get through it, it produces this subconscious feeling of failure. So they start to associate every time they see your email, they never get through it and it becomes like an eh for them. So they don't want to open it. Whereas if you can deliver emails that have the perfect combination of entertainment, information, but also... um, bite-sized enough that it's digestible and approachable, people open it and they check it off their to-do list and they feel good about it. It feels like they've accomplished something. And so the same thing works actually with book chapters. When you're writing chapters, readers tend to like shorter chapters because they feel accomplished, like they're getting through them as opposed to longer ones. So yeah, I got I got really short blog posts and newsletters and chapters. <laughs> So for everyone listening who wants to follow you, and you guys should sign up for her newsletter, get on her email list, and watch how it's done if you want to make your writing better. How do people find you? If you're looking for creative writing and how to like really punch up your content, definitely go to meetandhair.com. It's the best place for it. If you're looking to just like really find your voice and have a sassy partner in crime in the creator world then definitely go to themiddlefingerproject.org or .com, any of the Middle Finger Projects. I'm the one. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. And it's been awesome having you here with us today. Thank you. I seriously feel like we've known each other for nine years and we've never had a conversation. So thank you for having me. All right, everyone. We will see you on the next episode. As always, thanks for listening. I appreciate you. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and share it with another coach. 
And if you need more practical business help for the love of chocolate, please go to coachpony.com and sign up for a free guide and business training designed to help you get paying clients. We'll see you over at www.coachpony.com.